Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. This week, we feature a panel from the Pima County Public Library Nuestras Raices presentation stage from the 2017 Tucson Festival of Books entitled Timeless Fiction Without Boundaries, moderated by Dominique Calza with authors Luis Alberto Urea and Alvaro Enrique. This is part one of a two-part series. Bienvenidos, welcome, hello, nice to see everybody. Welcome to the ninth annual Tucson Festival of Books. My name is Dominique Calza. We wish to thank the friends of the Pima County Public Library for sponsoring this venue. Yes, thank you, thank you. Alvaro Enrique was a Coleman Center Fellow and a Fellow at the Princeton University Program in Latin American Studies. He has taught at New York University, Princeton, the University of Maryland, and Columbia. His work has appeared in the New York Times, The Believer, The White House Review, The London Review of Books, El País, among others. His most recent novel, translated into English, Sudden Death, was awarded the prestigious Herralde Prize in Spain, the Elena Poniatowska International Novel Award in Mexico, and the Barcelona Prize for Fiction, and has been translated into many languages. Thank you for being my little. Uh, Luis Urrea is a 2005 Pulitzer Prize finalist for nonfiction and a member of the Latino Literature Hall of Fame. He is the best-selling author of 16 books, including Into the Beautiful North, The Devil's Highway, and The Hummingbird's Daughter, winning numerous awards for his poetry, fiction, and essays, including the Lannan Literary Award, the Pacific Rim uh, Kiriyama Prize, and an American Book Award, among other honors. His novel, Into the Beautiful North, is a big read selection by the National Endowment of the Arts, has been selected by more than 30 different cities and colleges as a community read, is being developed as a series for TNT and the Water Museum, a collection of short stories, was a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award, and was named a Best Book of the Year by the Washington Post and Kirkus Review, among others. Thank you, Luis. I have a few questions, but we'll kind of, like I said, kind of keep it open in dialogue with the audience as well. And okay, so within the context of historical fiction like Sudden Death or a family folk tale like The Hummingbird's Daughter, how does your story emerge and take form from the facts? How do you transcend the borders of fact and fiction, novel and reality? Oh, well, um, you know, the, the book began its life as stories in Tijuana from my aunt. A lot of these folks know already, my, my, my tia Leti, we called her Tia Flaca, because she was Flaca, you know, and she was lifelong diabetic, blind in one eye, always smoked menthol cigarettes on the side of the blind eye so it looked like smoke was coming out of the eye. And she was super malablada, Sinaloense, you know. Uh, yeah, we've talked. Viva Sinaloa. And, um, and she would tell us these stories about this, this aunt. And, you know, it was like, Oye, cabrones, tienen una tía ya aquí que puede curar a los enfermos y vuela como pájaro. ¿Qué les parece? So already the truth was fictionalized. And when the book came out, to me, it was a straight-up historical document. <laughs> right? And then critics started likening it to Garcia Marquez. And 
I had, I never in a million years had Garcia Marquez in my mind, ever. First of all, soy mexicano. And I wasn't thinking of that. And I think that what happens with that border crossing in genres is because the critics have a certain array of things they have read to judge you by. So, of course, they cite 100 Years of Solitude because Garcia Marquez is who they read, you know? And uh, if, if anybody in, in Spanish was, on my mind, it was Jose Emilio Pacheco, maybe Juan Rulfo. That was somebody. But I was busy ripping off Malcolm Lowry and Under the Volcano the whole time. <laughs> but if, to me, those stories were true in that our folklore is true to us. So all the stories that they told me in some ways were more real than the actual research I could do. And I moved here to Tucson 10 years in. It took me 25 years. But by the time I got here to Tucson, it's when medicine people took me in and started training me to understand what I was writing about. So how do you footnote that? So I used to tell, I used to tell interviewers, you can't footnote a dream. But that's all... It's all true to me. Es, es una historia. Both a story and a history to me. Top that, buddy. <laughs> it's difficult. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm playing against the University of Arizona in the University of Arizona. But I am not against. But I am not against. We're together in this. <laughs> the, the, yeah, I, I, I like what you said about the, the branding of the books. No? It's, yeah. it's very strange. It's, it's yeah. very strange. I, I have this book named Hypothermia in English that, that in, in Spanish and French is a novel and in English and German a short stories book. Ah. It's ah. a freaking mystery. No, it's, a, it's how, how a book gets branded and, 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 and how something is read and that. But, but, but I think, too, that that is part of the life of a book. No, I, I, I think like, like Emiliano Zapata used to say that the land belongs to those who work it the same way I think that the books belong to those who read it. Exactly. So it's all right, no? whatever a reader decides, as, as long as, 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 this, as, as that decision is not imposed by the publishers yes. in the three blocks in New York City where everything is the you, you were deriving to, to this idea that, that comes from your excellent and difficult question about history and, and story that in, in Spanish is really easy to play with it because it's the same word. No? Uh, yeah. uh, the history is, is a story and history. No? So, so, so anyway, I, I, I think that the privilege of a, of a writer is, is precisely to, to, that you can cross the lines be, be, between the, the different material that you are researching to write a book. I, I, I'm a nerd, I'm, I'm the king of all nerds. So, so I think that books come from books and not from life. No, it, it, it's a silly idea, but, but, but I, I do big research to write my books and it's mainly bibliographic research. And, and, and I think that, that the privilege of a writer is that you can say things that, that, that a political scientist, that, that uh, an historian or, or uh, a TV writer cannot say. Yeah. You know? I, I, in, in this novel, Southern Death, there, there is an, an episode about the in history of the conquest of Mexico. You know? and, and Hernán Cortés, do, during the conquest of Mexico, uh, Hernán Cortés was, was 39, that, that was an old age in that moment, and a totally useless man. You know? he, he, he was basically an imbecile. You know? he, he had spent all his life committing petty crimes, and he, he was a petty novel. 
uh, he belonged to the petty nobility of Spain, but, but he had run to, to Cuba because he had committed some little crimes. And then in Cuba, he committed some little crimes, and, and one of them was had to do with the daughter of the governor of Cuba, who was his, his wife. So, so he had to run in, in an expedition to Mexico, to, like a cartographic expedition. And while he has, was there, he, he knew this woman, Malinche, uh, no, Malitzin, who, who was a princess that was captive, and she worked for him as a translator. She, she was the person, he, he found in Yucatan mm -hmm. a, a priest that, that had been living with a Maya community, so he could speak Maya languages, and he found this princess that could speak Maya and Nahuatl. So, so if, if he put both of them together, he could speak to the emperor, not to the Aztec emperor. So, so, so she became his, his lover, of course, or his ex-slave, who knows, and, and, and later wife and later translator. No? And then he, he dropped her, as, as he did always. But in any way, if, if you see the, the trajectory of Fernán Cortés from his childhood, and it's pretty well documented, to the moment in which he knows... Malinche, he only did very stupid things all his life, no? incredible. And then he knows Malinche, and, and, and he becomes a genius of the battlefield, a, a, a political figure that is a fox, no? that can read the environment and take the proper decisions. And, and, and at the end, he, he does this unbelievable thing, that, that is to, 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 to submit an empire. No? The, the word conquest is, is not that precise, but, but how... how as everybody knows, the, the conquest of Mexico was fought not, not by the 28 Spanish soldiers that were a little bit more after the, the first wave, but, but anyway, not, not by the 120-something Spanish soldiers, but, but by all the nations that rebuilt, again, the Aztec Empire that was a very corrupt and degenerated empire. So, so the person who had the idea of conquering that land utilizing, the, like, let's say, the local power was obviously Malinche and not Hernán Cortés. No? Hernán Cortés never took a wise decision. You know? And if you see, while he was living with Malinche, everything works perfectly. You know? he, he conquers Mexico, he goes to the south and works, he goes to the Pacific and establishes the, the, yeah. the first port that, that will permit the, the, the first wave of, of world commerce be, because now you could navigate to China in a safety way. There are all these incredibly wise decisions that, that, that if, if you are a, novels of, a writer novel, you can say that were taken by Malinche, obviously. An historian cannot document that, so he cannot, or she, they, they cannot say it. So, so, so we have the, the, this freedom to, to, to like read history, as novelists, I think, as only our own generation could. No? I, I think that, that if, if you tell my grandfather that the conquest of Mexico was the product of a woman, he would commit suicide <laughs> because he, he was never able to, to prepare a cup of coffee, <laughs> forget uh, about some eggs in the morning. No? The, 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 I think that our privilege as a generation is that, no? that, that we can, through the novel, propose new readings of world history and, 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 and where things are divided to, to get to the world border that you were speaking. Bravo! En lo que están contando historias, right? And so in in collecting these histories, these stories, what how tell us a little bit about your research process then. I mean, Luis, you said 25 years, right? I mean, that's a long time. Um, 
but how how does that work for each of you? Do you do you research and then write? Is it simultaneous? Does one depend on the other? Do you kind of let the research go sometimes and kind of see where the writing takes you, or what? How what does that process look like for each of you? Dale, dale. We'll be talking for hours. And I'm sorry. The, I can tell a story. I can tell a story. That's what I do. I was in a big reading in the University of Maryland. That is my alma mater. I did my PhD at Maryland, a public university. And I went back as a writer there. And I read in this huge auditorium. And as I was as an alumni, there, there was a lot of people. It was very emotional. So I was, I was a little bit nervous. <laughs> I, I, I don't get many people when I read, no? and this was huge. No? I was a little bit nervous, so, so I went out to smoke a cigarette. And I was smoking my cigarette there outside the auditorium, and, and, and the police stopped. No? And, and a 14-year-old giant dressed as a policeman <laughs> told me, Sir, you cannot smoke in this campus, don't you know it? In that very rude way in which cops can behave sometimes. And, and I was so nervous because of the reading and because of this giant that was maybe 13 and had a gun. <laughs> I was so nervous that, that I told him, you, you know what, sir? I'm a writer, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and, and he told me, okay, sir, but go smoke in that corner, please. <laughs> Instead of arresting me. <laughs> so so <laughs> all of that say that, that uh, again, an, an, an historian has to work with an archive that is very well ordered and very well and, and And I work in a very chaotic way. I... I as, as you said before, I, I, I'm more a collector of stories. No, I, I feel that I need the data to be able to not be scolded by, by the readers that are more serious than, than I am. No, but, but, but I do that. I've been writing a, a, a novel for five years about the Apache War that happened just here, yeah. just behind that building, three blocks away from here. And I have been collecting information about it. And, and what, what I do is mainly my, my studio is, is like like a, like a safe box of stories. No? There is all this data. There is the dates. There is the names. There, there is the, the Mexican army, the American army, all the names. I have the family trees, all of that. But the truth is that I never go to them. They, they are just like like a talisman. No, it's something that I know that is behind me. But but what will be imposed when when I'm writing is is the imagination and and and. I don't know, like love for for the people's stories, no, the, something like that. I think that you work pretty much reading. You are listening to a panel from the Pima County Public Library Nuestra Strices presentation stage from the 2017 Tucson Festival of Books entitled "Timeless Fiction Without Boundaries," moderated by Dominique Calza with authors Luis Alberto Urea and Alvaro Enrique on 30 Minutes. 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Oh, yeah. Yes. My research project is listening to El Tri really loud <laughs> and drinking coffee. You, you, you collect stories with me, particularly with Hummingbird's Daughter. But I think it, it, each book's a little different. You know, The Devil's Highway being a nonfiction book, I, 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 I had to try to, to take all this chaos of the death of those men and figure out how to represent it the best way I could and how to focus it and how to represent everybody in it. And to do something like that, I think the organizing feature 
more than the data is what helped me. And when I realized that barring Tohono O'odham people, you know, or, or some Apache people or so forth who actually are of the land, um, all three groups, the Border Patrol, the Caminantes who came, and the Coyotes and smugglers, all are alien to the landscape and nobody has learned how to make a deal with the land to survive correctly. And uh, Ofelia Cepeda kind of gave me the key. She said, you know, in our desert, Hail Marys don't work. It's the wrong prayer. I thought, this is a... The whole Devil's Highway story is almost a religious text. It's almost a, a lifeways examination with this tragedy. So that, that helped me organize it. But with Hummingbird's Daughter, um, I didn't really know how to approach it. I'm chaotic, too. I am not the person to ask to make a, an outline or a, a really <laughs> intricate plot. I could never write a spy book. Um, but I knew that if I could just get her data straight, and it was difficult because at the time it was hard to find data about her, but I got all the data in a lot. So I knew every month pretty much of her life where she was or what she was doing. But that was the skeleton upon which all this other stuff began to accrue. And, you know, you, a lot of you know this, but when I got to Tucson, that's when my indigenous cousins showed up. I didn't know I had Yaqui cousins. I didn't know I had Mayo cousins or Apache cousins. I, how shocked was I? Everybody listening. Everybody, yeah, here, yeah right? <laughs> and and my, one of my cousins was, was trained as a medicine woman. And so all of a sudden, a different kind of experience happened. And all of the teachers that showed up were really involved in dream time. And so if you read the book, there's a series of dreams throughout the book. Those are the dreams that the teachers gave me in sequence. And so when dream time is part of your research, and each one of those dreams was a visionary dream talking about the issue that I was working on at the time. And they would tell me, you know, there's, there was a, an Apache, a Chiricahua man up in Benson, and there's a ranch up there, Rancho Teresita. It used to be called Rancho Teresita, and we were out there. He took me out in the desert, and he gave me a ritual. And he said, you're going to have a dream in three days when you do this. Call me and tell me. And I called him, and he immediately, you know, how many numbers were in it? What was the number? Four, six, or eight? I said four. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but I understood then that the levels of research are different. And when we have the opportunity to write a novel, I think those things that, that put the trance in, I write and read, I think, A, to fall in love. I don't care if it's a tree, a car, a, a, a bad guy. I, fall, I want to be entranced by it. And the other thing is to be put into a trance and to put the readers in a trance. I want you to dream about the world I'm trying to create. And so when uh, something like that happened, it was the opportunity, and I considered it research, to try to delve into that other thing. You know, what Alvaro, I think, is hinting at, that we see things from a perspective that the people living them didn't necessarily have, and now we can judge all these things. Um, and by the way, I don't know if you know the story about Chametla, Sinaloa. I did a little research for you, brother. <laughs> There's a, there's a lookout in Chametla where Cortes went up and was looking for the bay. 
And there's a rock there called Las Nalgas de Cortés. <laughs> I didn't go, know this. Go. We're really close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go. It's Cortez's booty. And they told me this story. I fell over. They said, yes, uh, the year Cortez was here, it was so hot that the boulder was soft from the heat. <laughs> and he sat on it, and oy, he burned his nalgas, but it left an impression of his nalgas in the rock. And tourists come every year to sit on Cortez's butt. How good is that? Really good. That's primo. Really good. We, I found that out last, last year at New Year's. So, you know, you, but these rich things, they, they, I think they illuminate so much of the humor of the people, of the culture. You know, Teresita wasn't just in Sinaloa and wasn't just in Sonora. She came here. She lives in Tubac. She and her father shopped at the Elysian Grove Market. I lived there when I was writing the book. So you can get that close to the story, yet it's already mythology because you can never touch it. You know? So I think that's the, the levels of research that you're, you're, you're picking up the, the humor, the sense, possibly the emotions that you were happening. You feel like you have an insight that's hard to, hard to footnote. It's hard to, we couldn't do a dissertation, I don't think, on, well, you know, when she feels certain way at breakfast with her father. I don't know. But I suspect, after all I know, that that, that was true. I'm a classics professor, too. And, and the, there is this, this book of Suetonius, the, the history of the seven Caesars. And he, he was much, much, he, he lived way after Julius Caesar, mm. and he's the first biographer of Julius Caesar. And in his time, there were, even when Plinius already had written his history of, of Rome and everything, there were not much documentation. Mm. So he wrote the biography of Caesar, that, that is one of the most splendid pieces of writing ever written, I think. Like, and, and he used it as a document archive and source the inscriptions in the bathrooms ah. of Rome. What people would have grown a, a hundred years before in the bathrooms. <laughs> it, it was still there and, and she, he needed documentation and he could not, of course, get it. No. So he, he went to the bathroom <laughs> and copied those inscriptions. And, and most of what we know about the greatest of all emperors comes from there. <laughs> <laughs> An example of the graffiti? No, yeah, I, the graffiti. I don't remember, man. I wish I, I, they were very obscene. I don't think it's noon, there is children in the audience. <laughs> and the Romans were really wild. No? So I, I, I could not quote, but obviously it's a biography that, that is mainly a, like, a, a little bit porno. No, very sexy and, and very, poli <laughs> very anti-political, anti-Julius Caesar, because... What, what, I, I work in a coffee shop near Columbia University, and the bathroom is full of inscriptions of the students, and they they are not super favorable to the favorable to the government. No, they are quite the contrary. So, so it's a very critical biography of Julius Caesar because it's written by by the people that could only say their opinion in the bathroom. No, well, they were hiding. <laughs> You are listening to a panel from the Pima County Public Library Nuestra Strices presentation stage from the 2017 Tucson Festival of Books entitled Timeless Fiction Without Boundaries, moderated by Dominique Calza with authors Luis Alberto Urea and Alvaro Enrique on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. The Market. 
Um, if I had any sense of the market, I'd have a lot more money, I think, than I do. I I don't think about that really. Uh, it, when I'm you know complaining to my wife late at night that I wish we could go do more adventures and take the family to Disney World every month or something. Yeah, I wish there were more market issue. But you know, I I write because I have to write and I can't not write. And I you know I wrote my way out of you know a dirt street in Tijuana, and uh, I, I I started out doing missionary work in the Tijuana garbage dump, washing the feet of garbage pickers. You know, I don't... Writing pulled me out of hell, personally, and, may, and gave me a life. And so my responsibility, I think, is, is really fraught by coming out of Tijuana. And like, you know, I've said to other readers here and, and, and groups, it, in fifth grade, I left the, the immediate border region in San Diego area. Back, I was like 60-40 between Tijuana and San Diego. And we moved to a, 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 a white suburb where we were the first mixed family. And all of a sudden, I was a greaser. I was a spick, a beaner, a pepper belly, a taco bender. That was a good one. And I had never, I was like, que, que? <laughs> what? And my cousin from Sinaloa, Jaime, would come visit me. And we were walking down the street. And he didn't speak English, and a guy pulled up in the car and yelled, Hey, Taco Bender! And Jaime said, What do you want, cheeseburger? <laughs> so I have to, you have to understand that everything that was sacred to me, everyone that was sacred to me, everyone that was magical, powerful, worthy of respect, awe, fear, doubt, all the humanity of the matrix of my boyhood suddenly was subhuman. Suddenly was names to be called, uh, which colors my feelings about our politics right now. Um, so I always, even when I didn't have words for it, considered my job was to be a writer of witness and to find a way to tell people stories and to let us know each other, you know, and understand each other. And a lot of times the people that I loved or revered are now gone. But I've got this incredible gift of a little nugget of them that I still hold. And I can try to make it at least outlive me, maybe not eternal, but give it life in your lives. And I will just throw out, I'm, I'm dying to hear what Alvaro has to say, but when I was younger, and trying to come up, you know, and trying to write. Rudolfo Anaya, if you know Rudy Anaya, wrote Bless Me Ultima and some classics. He came to, to visit San Diego, and he told me this incredible thing. He said, you know, if you can make a reader in Iowa feel that your abuelita in Tijuana is her grandmother, even though she's in Iowa, you've committed the most powerful religious and political act in the world. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. I don't think I can do it. And I found out that in some ways I, I can do it. So it's my responsibility as a writer to represent as best I can. And, and I had mentioned the Devil's Highway, and then I'll stop talking. But you know, part of the real lesson to me was trying to write a book that was largely about the US Border Patrol when I was setting out to trash the US Border Patrol. And I realized that I was not a very good writer because I 
I was talking a game, but I wasn't willing to play the game, which was, you got to go witness the U.S. Border Patrol, too, in spite of your prejudice. And I was fighting myself. Prejudice? Me? I have an earring. <laughs> and when I realized that I was coming out of that place, I had to really stop myself and auto-examination, you know? I had to think, what's my philosophy for real? And I, I think that helped me get actually better to try to expand that, that sense of duty, I feel, to, you know, we're all here for a very short time and a lot of us are getting disrespected and hurt a lot. So that's what I'm thinking about when, when I write. That's, that's what I feel is my responsibility. Um, and to try to lend, you know, human experience the dignity I feel that it's denied a lot of times. That's kind of, I don't know if that answers you, but that's, that's what drives me all the time. I don't think of the marketplace ever. Um, I wish, like Cindy's sitting right near, near you. She can tell you, uh, afterwards, I think about it a lot. <laughs> but when I'm working, n not. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to a panel from the Pima County Public Library Nuestra Raices presentation stage from the 2017 Tucson Festival of Books entitled Timeless Fiction Without Boundaries, moderated by Dominique Calza with authors Luis Alberto Urea and Alvaro Enrique. This has been part one of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Mm -hmm.